almost 10 years ago, Joe and I were in London. I loved being in London. I really, it's one of the towns I really did enjoy. But we were often confronted by things that were just a little bit different to life here in Melbourne. One day we were walking around the streets of London when all of a sudden these police bikes came flying down the road. Lights flashing, sirens going. And as they came to an intersection, they stopped, parked their bikes to block the traffic, got off their bikes, held up their hands to stop the traffic. The next thing, a couple of big black cars came down the street that I just assumed probably were full of bodyguards. The next was a car with a flag on its grill. What was interesting is that by the time this car came along to the roads, the roads were clear. No traffic, no need to stop for the sign, for any lights, no obstacles, just a straight through road. I was really keen to see who might be in the car. Those around me, though, they just didn't care. I just assumed they must have been regular Londoners. They didn't seem to be phased or interested. And in fact, they seemed to be a little put out with all the commotion. I found out later that was because this was pretty much a regular occurrence in London. Now let's take that scene back 2,000 years to a hot, dry, dusty desert. Word got around that someone important is coming, the king. He's been away for a long time, but now he's coming back. There is no police, ca- there is no police on motorbikes blocking roads. In fact, there isn't any roads to block. There's just a herald shouting to the people in the desert, the king is coming. Make a road for him. Make it good and make it straight. For the Jewish people, this message had been a distant echo for a hundred years, ever since it was first made in Isaiah 40. It echoed down through history. And now it was being made by John the Baptist. It is a message of hope, a message of forgiveness, a message of healing for a nation after a horror long exile. God at last was coming back, bringing with him comfort and rescue for his people. Yes, John is saying, this is what's happening now. It's time to get ready. The king God himself is coming back. Get ready for God's kingdom. John's message was like the flashing lights of the motorbike that caught my attention in London. It is the stopping of the traffic of daily life in and around Jerusalem. It is a message that made people stop what they were doing and take notice to get ready. The problem was, though, they just weren't ready, not by a long shot. Most of us, I am sure, left our houses this morning reasonably tidy. But I'm sure if I'd I'd told you that I'd arranged for the Queen to come and have lunch with you after church, 
I'm not too sure if you'd be hanging around for coffee after church. You'd be rushing off home madly to clean the house. I know somebody in my life that I share a house with who would certainly probably be gone now. But I think that the Jewish people, including even those very devout ones that regularly worshipped in the temple, knew deep down inside that they weren't ready for God to return. The prophets had said God would return. When the people repented, turning to him with all their hearts, that's what John was, was summoning them to do. And the people came in droves. They came for baptism. And John plunged them into the waters of the River Jordan as they confessed their sins. This wasn't just a symbolic gesture of cleansing the individual. It was a sign of a new thing that God was doing in history. Not just for Israel, but the whole world. You will remember from Old Testament stories that over a thousand years earlier, the people of Israel had crossed the River Jordan when they had first entered and conquered the Promised Land. Now they had to go back through the river. They had to go back through the river as a sign that they were getting ready for a greater conquest, the defeat of evil and the establishment of God's kingdom. The kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But John's message was full on. There were some quite frightening words in it. Look at verse 10. He talks about an axe that will chop down the tree. And those trees that are chopped down will be thrown into the fire. And when John sees the religious leaders coming to be baptised, he doesn't hold back on them either, does he? <laughs> What's, what does he call them? A brood of vipers. They are like snakes that are trying to slither away from the bonfire that they had been hiding in for so long. For John, going through the motions of baptism wasn't enough. They would have to change their ways and start to behave differently. Real repentance then and now means complete change of heart and life. That is the only way to make the road straight for the coming of the king. We often talk about, well I do, I love talking about the Pharisees and how they got so things, things so wrong. But have you ever wondered what it was they got wrong? Well firstly, pride. Pride in their purity. They were very unlikely to be caught doing the wrong thing in public or be guilty of some gross or obvious sin. But this pride had gotten in the way of God's homecoming. They were arrogant to other Israelites and would have nothing to do with the rest of the world. This arrogance was in sharp contrast to the king that was coming. But they also had an arrogance of their ancestry. They would say, we have Abraham as our father. This was like saying, God made a promise to Abraham and we are his children. Therefore, God is committed to us. We are bound, surely we are bound to be okay because of that. John warns them 
that God is the sovereign creator and it would be no big deal for him to create new children of Abraham from the very stones at their feet. John uses the image of a fruit tree. So does Jesus, by the way, more than once. The only way to avoid the axe and the fire is to produce fruit. No fruit, then into the bonfire. The only way to avoid the bonfire? Show that you have a fruitful tree. John, in these short verses, verses set the tone for pretty much the story of Jesus. John prepared the way. And I'm pretty sure that even John really didn't know what it was going to look like when God's kingdom arrived. It would seem that even John was puzzled when Jesus did set out to bring God's kingdom about. You can read later in Matthew chapters chapter 11, verses 2 to 6, where John sends messengers just to check Jesus out. Jesus' own mission was so different to what everyone expected. His kingdom message was so full of comfort and healing that we often forget that it was also balanced by stern and solemn warnings that when God returns, he'll demand absolute allegiance. This time of the year, it's pretty easy, isn't it, to think about Jesus as a helpless baby or in fact get confused by some jolly old bearded man. And we can forget that if God really is God, which I have no doubt he is, the one thing he isn't is some easygoing, indulgent parent. The God who came in the person of Jesus will one day return and unveil his kingdom in all its glory. He will bring justice and joy to the whole world. So how do we get ready? How do we get ready? Well, each of us needs to ask ourselves, what are the roads do we need to straighten out? What are the fires we need to light and what rubbish do we need to burn in it? And what are the trees? What trees do we need to cut down in our lives? As I've already said this morning, Advent is a great time. It's a great time of getting ready. But it is also a great time to think about and to pray about these questions as they relate to us individually and as a parish. Amen.